I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out and one dropped off But I Just listeners, and welcome to another late night episode of Seeking Tumness. Pour a nice glass of your favourite wine, slip into the bath, and let us guide you gently, but also firmly, through another 40 minutes of fun. My name is Keith Rowe, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts... No! <laughs> oh, okay, alright, alright. Fine. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another spine-tingling, racism-avoiding, book-reading episode of <laughs> Seeking Tumness, the podcast where we try to stick to young adult fiction, but somehow keep getting derailed by sentimental mentalists like my fellow hosts, the gent with less sanity than a Minotoba manatee, Keith Rowe. Hello. And the she with more bats than Belfry, Bree. Keith's was so much better, Laurie. Thanks for that, Bree. Apologies from the regular loon, Patrick Moon. My name is Laurie. In this episode, Keith plants us firmly outside of adolescence and back into one of his childhood favourites, The Indian in the Cupboard by Lynn Reed Banks. But first, there's some smoke signals on the horizon, spelling S-P-O-I-L-E-R-S. Bree is flapping her arms vigorously. Let's see what she's warning us of. This podcast... Contains spoilers. This book took under three hours to read. So you could read it in less time than we here at Seeking Tumnus collectively say, um, and ah, and then justify our arguments with, you know? So we will spoil this easy to read book for you in the next 45 minutes. Over to page one. It was not that Omri didn't appreciate Patrick's birthday present to him. Far from it. He was really very grateful, sort of. It was, without a doubt, very kind of Patrick to give Omri anything at all, let alone a second-hand plastic red Indian, which he himself had finished with. The trouble was, though, that Omri was getting a little fed up with small plastic figures, of which he had loads. Biscuit tins full, probably three or four if they were all put away at the same time, which they never were, because most of the time they were scattered about in the bathroom, the loft, the kitchen, the breakfast room, not to mention Omri's bedroom in the garden. The compost heap was full of soldiers, which over several autumns had been raked up with the leaves by Omri's mother, who was rather careless about such things. Omri and Patrick had spent many hours together, playing with their joint collections of plastic toys. But now they'd had about enough of them, at least for the moment, and that was why, when Patrick brought his present to school on Omri's birthday, Omri was disappointed. He tried not to show it, but he was. Do you really like him? asked Patrick as Omri stood silently with the Indian in his hand. Yes, he's fantastic, said Omri, in only a slightly flattish voice. I haven't got an Indian. I know. I haven't got any cowboys either. Nor have I. That's why I couldn't play anything with him. Omri opened his mouth to say, I won't be able to either. But thinking that might hurt Patrick's feelings, he said nothing, put the Indian in his pocket and forgot about it. And that's page one. 
Thank you, Keith. Brady, that put some firewater on your belly? Are you kidding me? He gave him a second-hand crappy old plastic figure. What a terrible gift. What kind of a kid is that? What kind of a mother lets her kid give a second-hand toy that he's not interested in playing anymore and hand it over to somebody else? What a terrible thing. (laughs) I'm bored. I don't care about this gift or either of these kids. And it's a little bit of a cliche that they have to play cowboys and Indians on page two. I just think that's a bit ridiculous. I am not engaged. Laurie? I was expecting you to go to Keith there, but before I move on, that quote about... I haven't got any cowboys, nor have I. That's why I couldn't play with him. What a dick. I know, right? (laughs) This isn't the greatest of Patrick's turnery, but it's a pretty good (laughs) foreshadowing. But I digress. Hmm. All right. No, I'm not that engaged at this point. (laughs) When he gets to the cupboard bit, though, a few lines later, that's what I like. I'm really engaged with that kind of stuff because there's something about old cupboards and fancy keys, and there's just something about them. I think it's from... Childhood books, maybe something like this or the Narnia series. And it's even reinforced a little bit by modern stories like the comic book series Lock and Key. Something so mundane as a cupboard could just be slightly shifted or nudged metaphysically and it would somehow become a portal to the fantastic or other worlds or unleash other worlds or magics into our own world. That's the kind of thing I'm a sucker for and it didn't happen in what Keith just read there, but just afterwards you start to hear about the cupboard. Yeah, it's difficult in the first page or a couple of pages to to really get an idea of what the book's about. But I, I really like this opening for a few reasons. One, as a child, playing with plastic toys was one of my things. I identified with that. Did you have any plastic toys in particular that you used to play with quite a bit, Keith? <laughs> well, I was referring to plastic figures with that, but yes, I did play with my <laughs> Masters of the Universe toys quite a bit. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh. Yes, no one would ever have guessed that. Are they now framed and hanging up in your house? No, they're at my parents' house. I would never have guessed that of you, Keith. Go on. (laughs) I liked what we saw of Omri's character from this little opening. Patrick comes across either as very oblivious or just not very nice. But Omri, we can identify or I can identify with that, that feeling of getting a gift that you're not so interested in but having to, out of courtesy or... I guess, a lack of strength of character, having to pretend that you enjoy the gift. So, yeah, I I liked it. Can I just point out that when I first read the name Omri, I'm like, Omri? What kind of a name is that? And then later on I came to appreciate that the author, it was actually her son's name, but the author didn't make it a boring name like Jack or Tom or Phil or whatever. She actually kept her son's name in there and it made it a bit more interesting, I felt. Yeah, because it's actually a story that she used to tell them as they were going to sleep. It was like a story that she then turned into a novel. Right. Which is quite cool. Yeah. So I I think her son, well, assuming she's not an old bag, like who was the author that mistreated allegedly her children? Enid Blyton. Enid Blyton. (laughs) Unless that kind of mother, you'd be pretty happy that your name was the hero of this book has been enjoyed for decades. Actually existed. Yeah, certainly the fact that this idea was created reading to her children or talking to her children already sets her ahead of Enid Blyton in the parenting space. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. J.K. Rowling. So Harry Potter was a story that she used to tell her kids to help them go to sleep at night. Huh. So much better than the stories I come up with, which just end up being retellings of my day or their days. God. No creativity. It's quite difficult, I find, to tell a creative story. (laughs) 
but very easy to just retell a story with a few different names here and there. Mm, so. True. <laughs> <laughs> Bree, would you kindly give us a wee synopsis of what follows? Yeah, I'm not sure how wee it's going to be. We'll see. So Omri is given a plastic toy Indian and a magical cupboard for his birthday. And he soon discovers that by placing his figurine inside, the figurine is brought to life. Enter Little Bull, plucked from America in the 18th to 19th, so far as I can tell, century. He also creates a horse for Little Bull and a cowboy called Boone and a horse for Boone and a medic to patch them up when a fight ensues. This all becomes mighty complicated when Omri's friend, the aforementioned irritating Patrick, is made aware of the cupboard and threatens to dib a dob on Omri if he doesn't give Patrick his own magical creature. But all good things have to come to an end. These are, in inverted commas, real little people with real lives. They can't live in Omri's bedroom for keeps, can they? No. (laughs) (laughs) Did I capture all of the salient points or do we need to? Oh, man, there's going to be some fans furiously typing on the keyboard there. I think you got the chronology a little bit skewy. Oh, dear. Yeah, so he creates Little Bull. Patrick finds out because Omri foolishly keeps mentioning the fact that he's a real Indian, not just a plastic toy anymore. So Patrick comes along and then insists that he be given his own little person and Omri's trying to tell him, hey, this is actually a real person with a real life. You can't just uh, mess around with them. And when Omri ducks out of the room, it's Patrick that puts the cowboy in, isn't it, Keith? Yeah, that's exactly right. So unbeknownst to Omri as he's out of the room, Patrick rushes and puts the cowboy and horse into the cupboard and makes him a real little cowboy person. And then a bit of a fight ensues and Patrick sort of blackmails him a little bit and drags these little people off to school and there's a bit of misadventures there. It's all a, oh man, I just, don't get me fired up about Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also an ultimate conclusion, right? He can't keep them forever. Mm. Well, I wasn't going to spoil the whole thing. Nah, let's spoil the hell out of it. So he creates a woman. He creates a woman for a wife for Little Bull and sends them back in time together to live happily ever after by turning them back to plastic. Which really, I, I don't know if you thought about it too much, Keith, but like, what kind of messing with time do you do there? Yeah, I don't know whether any time transpires while they're in Omri's world. Yeah, but... And what, he then just comes like sauntering back into his village with this woman on his arm? And a horse! Hmm. With a chief headdress. Yes, with a chief. So what's like, he going to do? The, yeah, exactly. Fight, fight for the, the chief. Yeah. Oh, he had the had the blessing of the gods. Butterfly flaps its wings. That's a horse True. and a woman to flap their wings. True. Well, there was horses, but not generally ridden by the Iroquois. No, they said they didn't ride them. Or he said they didn't ride them. Whether that's historically accurate is another story. <laughs> yes. Did anyone do any research into the historical accuracies of the book? Oh, there's some really good information in the back of the version of the book that I had. Um, We might cover that later. Mm, Okay, sounds good. Thanks for that, Bree. It was your pick this episode, Keith. Why did the Indian in the cupboard float to the top of your list? Okay, so the first and foremost reason for my choice is that I clearly still do not comprehend what young adult fiction is. Because this is definitely not that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll move beyond that thinly veiled excuse there for choosing whatever the hell I want. This is a series that I loved as a kid, so I wanted to revisit it to see if the appeal had any longevity. 
And the main source of the appeal to me was, which I've touched on already, was that as a boy, I would play with plastic figures, mainly soldiers that I had. So the idea of being able to bring them to life resonated with me and it was taking the imaginary battles that I'd stage in the sand pit up the back a step further. Now, I don't expect nor feel that it's necessary for anyone else to take the same approach as me, but I'll primarily be talking about this book and expressing my opinion on this book relative to the audience for which the book is intended. <laughs> and that is explicitly... Wow, he's putting himself in a defensive formation like one of his little soldiers. Yes, all right. I really tried not to this episode. So that's explicitly eight to 10-year-olds. So very few books manage to effectively bridge age demographic gaps. Even fewer do so in an upwards direction and approximately none of those involve plastic figures that come to life. <laughs> For reference, this is the same age demographic as Matilda and just a bracket below that of the Rangers Apprentice. Do you think it's the same as Matilda? I would have said Matilda and would be a little bit higher than this. I think they're fairly equivalent. I think Rangers Apprentice is quite a few steps beyond that. Yeah, well, no, at the time you argued for 10. Did I? Yes. Yeah, Rangers Apprentice mm. is recommended for 9 to 12-year-olds. Mm. And what's this recommended for? 8 to 10. Really? Yeah, I would have put it lower, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Depends how strong a reader you are, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I don't think lower would necessarily capture the average reading level. Mm. But The Ranger's Apprentice has beatings and such So things. does this. There's a really good quote in here. I might see if I can find it, but <laughs> they talk about bashing each other before going to school, the brothers. It's not quite the same. There is an unnatural fascination with bashing. Mm-hmm. But it's not quite the same as this blatant, like, whacking each other for vengeance with sticks. Yeah. Mm, I think that was uh, justice enacted. That's so. right, it was justice. Oh, God. Go back, everybody, and listen to the full debate that goes for about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it goes for nothing near 45 minutes. It's because you cut it. The position of Laurie and myself... <laughs> is wrong. Was, was the superior, the superior one. one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How about you fight it out? Off you go. We would never do such a thing. Just further on my history with this book and this series, I read the first three books in this series. The fourth and fifth came out after my interests had moved on. And really, I didn't remember much more than the premise of the series. So that's probably something that's not that surprising, given it was more than 25 years ago that I read these books. So there you go. That's why I made you guys read it. Mm. All right, Bree, mm -hmm. your first cab off the rank. Did you enjoy it as much as... An eight-year-old, you might have enjoyed it. Are you trying to force me down this path? No, no, not at all. No, don't feel obliged to do that. The whole podcast, right, isn't it just about how do I think children would enjoy it? No, it is about me too. But it's also us trying to recapture. So I'll do a bit of both then and try and be fair. I'll be doing both as well. Okay. So I had never actually heard of this book, although Goodreads did inform me that it sold over 10 million copies and so I really should have heard of it. I liked the imaginative concept so children do treat their toys like they're real and even I had three pretend dogs called Radio Pom and Zerk and they used to cause havoc around the house you know no you can't sit there because that's where Pom is sitting mum you haven't served a plate of food for Zerk so that imaginative concept I can really get behind for me it's a precursor I would say to the Toy Story movies so you begin to really have an affinity for each individual toy and their unique personality and I found that I really had that for Little Bull in particular and Boone later once he sort of grew on you. For me this is the wonder of play and I really have moments of pure joy when I see that in my own children but for me that's where it ends. <laughs> 
This is actually a book that I really struggled through. So I said in the spoiler that it does take, it's a really quick read, but oh my God, like for me, I had to pick it up over in short bursts over many days in order to get through to the end. The little boy is fine. He, I found that he grew as a kid throughout, you know, he starts off as this not meek, but he wasn't standing up to Patrick at the beginning where he gives him this really crappy figurine of a gift. And, you know, towards the end, he's really fighting for Boone and for Little Bull for their betterment and for the fact that they're real people. So he does stand up to his friend in the end, I think is great. I'll comment there, yeah. I think he was really mature for his age. Yep. Even from the beginning, I think, his approach to bringing this character to life was a very mature one. You saw that in contrast to Patrick, who was treating the live characters Hmm. as toys, and Omri never did that. Mm, And the struggle that he had with Patrick, like standing up to him, was because they had been friends for so long. There was a quote that said something like, you know, they had been friends for a long time, and that that counted for something. Mm. So it wasn't just struggling to stand up for his position but he was trying to balance that against a long-standing friendship yeah yeah but ultimately i was just not interested Hmm. i was just bored i didn't like the characters that came out i didn't like the indians versus the cowboys i was totally disinterested in this story i would have been as an eight-year-old and i was as an adult sorry keith but i loved the imaginative concept There's no need to apologise. Probably as an 8 to 10-year-old, you would have been roughly the same. I don't think it falls into your wheelhouse. No, and I would have read The Babysitter's Club rather than this one, right? And it's not something you would have ever picked up. Exactly. That's right. Fair call. No problems with that. (laughs) What about yourself, Keith? Yeah, I I enjoyed reading this book. The nostalgic value basically saw to it that that was the case. I'd forgotten that much of the drama in the book was centred around Omni's newly found responsibility and that's what I sort of just touched on briefly there it was an interesting twist where I think other authors may have focused more so on the entertaining fun and frivolous side of being able to bring toys to life Lynn Reed Banks didn't do that and she focused on the human connection between Omri and the demanding and challenging Iroquois little bull so that was for me something interesting about the approach the author took that wasn't enough to make this an amazing book for me or anything like that but I did like that she took a different approach in a nutshell this book achieved what it set out to do but along the way it wasn't particularly versatile or creative in doing so apart from what I touched on already I would have loved for this book to have more humor in it because it was pretty light on in that respect and for a book for children it was pretty straight laced it's a really good point yeah particularly compared to things that are out there now and that are popular now what that means is For me, this book lacked the magic that I had hoped for. There's three core reasons why there's no real reason for me to recommend this book to anyone. The first one, the writing is a little on the dull side. The second, the content feels dated. And the third is the main one, that there's better stuff out there. So even with my attachment, it's not something that I'll be reading to my kids or not something that I'll be encouraging them to read when they're old enough to do so themselves. But I still did enjoy reading the book. Are we going to talk about the movie? Do they update the content for that at all? I did start watching the movie, but I didn't finish watching the movie. But I'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it puts me in an odd position, Keith, because I have to say that I really liked it. Oh, that's good. I'm really glad to hear that. I liked it as well. That was with a few caveats there that maybe I overplayed my hand in stating them that way. But yeah, I really Mm. enjoyed reading it as well. That's probably what I should state once again on the record. Right. Well, there's a few parts of it that made me 
cringe, and I'll, I'll get to that, but what, and you touched on this a little bit, what really made the book enjoyable for me was the charming and surprising empathy displayed by Omri. I was expecting a book where a toy gets brought to life, there'd be some laughs and a few mishaps, but the small figure would be nothing more than like a gimmick, and they wouldn't have real depth. Now, clearly LRB got some of the details of Jamiroquai Indian culture wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Something I believe she spent a good portion of her life trying to atone for and correct in later books. Uh But to me, that was less relevant than the fact that Little Bull was a real person, ripped from time and then forced to deal with a giant existence from the future. And that Omri was a boy that recognised very quickly that this little person was autonomous and appreciated the worth of his autonomy. Well, I don't know. I just felt it went beyond the norm of children's books. It went a little deeper in showing that empathy. And there's a couple of quotes that I've got evidence of Omri's empathy. Here's one. Besides, the most awful thought had come to him during the last lesson, which had made it almost impossible for him to sit still. If the Indian were real, and not just well, moving plastic, as Pinocchio had been moving wood, then he would need food and other things. Omri had left him shut up in the dark all day with nothing. Perhaps, what if there was not enough air in the cupboard? The door fitted very tight. How much air would a very small creature need? What if... What if the Indian were... What if it died shut up in there? What if Omri had killed him? He's very distressed at that point. And the other quote was, with regards to Boone the cowboy... The cowboy seemed embarrassed and hung his head. My name's Boone, but the fellas, I don't even know what accent I'm supposed to do here, so I'll just avoid But you're the expert. You should channel those little otters. Right. You can only do British accents. Yep. <laughs> My name's Boone, but the fellas all call me Boohoo. That's on account of, uh, of my cry so easy. It's my soft heart. Show me something sad or scare me just a little and the tears just come to my eyes and I can't help it. That was pretty good. Thank you. Omri, who had been somewhat of a crybaby himself until very recently, was not inclined to be scornful about this. So just little things like that. I mean, and obviously the continual care and attention and dismay later on when Patrick is treating these little people that are quite delicate very poorly. All of that sort of mushed together to make me appreciate Omri's character. There are some things that I really didn't like, and the first one that smacked me very early in the book was this quote. Beard, said Patrick, which was their school slang for I don't believe you. Instead of insisting, Omri said nothing more, and that led Patrick to ask, why did you say that about him speaking? He does. Itchy beard, which of course means the same, only more so. I mean, this is 35 years of warning for the Maze Runner with their shanks and crunk. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of irritating slang annoyed and worried me, but fortunately didn't really persist. Yeah, so. that's right. It was just in that one section there. It was like, what is this attempt for? Why is this in there? It seemed odd. Yeah, it was odd. The sexist stuff. I thought Bree might have talked about this a bit. I'm glad to see you're picking up after your 86% from last week. <laughs> yeah, we know what you rated the top three books uh, All 100% male <laughs> Sexist <laughs> Alright, so there was this quote Ah, good, he sat down cross-legged amongst the paint lids to eat Dipping some of yesterday's stale bread in it as a spoon Your wife cook? Ah, uh, no, little bull forgot Omri not got wife He ate ravenously for a few moments and then said Not want? I'm having mine downstairs in a minute 
Omri said. Mean Omri not want wife, said Little Bull, who was now in a much better mood. I'm not old enough. Little Bull looked at him for a moment. No, I see. Boy, he grinned. Big boy, but boy. He went on eating. Little Bull want, he said, finally not looking up. Another wife? Chief needs wife. Beautiful, good cook, actors told. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Like, I don't know, maybe it was a, a vague approximation of the real dynamic of men and women in early Native American culture. Maybe it's wildly inaccurate, I don't know. But for a woman that was one of the first female reporters on British television, to make that kind of joke, question mark, seems a bit counterproductive to me. So I didn't like that. Mm, well done. Mm, yeah, I don't think it was a joke. I just think it was not well thought out. Because yeah, I had another quote, which was basically the same thing. So I won't put us through that one as well. Right. We can talk about that a bit more maybe now, actually. There was a lot of criticism about this book, about the inaccurate stereotypes, a lot of which I think were purely born from her watching movies or television representations of Native American people. And then not bothering to check her facts. Yes. That's and the bit. She, in the back of the book, there's actually a letter from her which... You know, when I'm reading some of this stuff, especially when they start talking about firewater and scalping and a lot of stereotypes that I guess could be considered harmful, she actually wrote a letter at the back of the book. And I'll read... A short excerpt. Yes, just the last part, the last paragraph of that letter. And this made me feel a lot better about her in general. She said, Attacks on the books by certain tribal members has caused me a lot of pain but it has had a good effect. In later books, I took more and more trouble to check my facts. For the fifth book of the series, The Key to the Indian, I travelled to Canada to talk to some of today's Mohawks, one of the six nations of the Iroquois Confederacy, and I think I've made fewer mistakes in this book. As a result of these efforts, I feel that my books have deepened and become more true. This is now one of my criteria of good writing, and the fact that I'm writing fantasy doesn't let me off getting the real things right. That was written in 2000, so there was a good two decades where she was probably getting quite a bit of flack. So what, it took her two decades? No, the letter was written in that time, but she'd already written five books in that time, I think so. But no, this path to continual improvement happened swiftly after writing this book, I imagine. (laughs) Or at least after its rise to popularity. Yes, you're right. She should have checked her facts to begin with, but the fact that she made an effort afterwards to reach out and get those facts correct. And I believe even one day she became a teacher in Navajo land. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it seemed like a Native American school. Hmm. Is it documented anywhere what the actual inaccuracies are? There's a fairly thorough description in the back, but there's also things like the other thing that sort of bugged people were you've got this white boy who is basically dictating... He takes his cues from Little Bull, but he's basically dictating what his life's going to be and Little Bull has to wait and defer to the white man again and blah, blah, blah. Mm, that's total bullshit, though. That's obviously from people who haven't I'm read I'm repeating this. what I read on Goodreads. No, I'm not saying <laughs> that the existence of that opinion mm. is bullshit. I'm saying mm. that opinion is bullshit. Mm. Yeah. It's not substantiated by the content in the book, that opinion, in my opinion. Uh, it doesn't really give the facts that are inaccurate, but it says in that same letter... Of course, it hasn't all been plain sailing. I wrote the original book in a light-hearted vein, and I didn't think too much about strict accuracy. I did a little research about the Iroquois, but not nearly as much as I should have. 
The success of the book in the United States coincided with the rapid development of ethnic consciousness amongst American Indians and the resentment of some of them about stereotyping by non-Indian writers. That was actually the paragraph immediately preceding the last one I read. Mm. So what the facts were, I'm not sure, but clearly it was challenging. So I think if you were to historically represent any number of races they would come across as quite brutal. So it's not, I don't think, targeting anyone unnecessarily or it is, as she said there, it was an oversight and it wasn't something that she dotted her eyes and crossed her T's on and she regrets that later. So good on her for putting a hand up. I understand where you're coming from, but I just think that she knew she should have checked her facts. She said that she made a half-hearted a attempt to do so. I mean, it's not really good enough. Yeah. I don't take your bold position, Keith. <laughs> well, I just think it's a much bigger thing is made of it than there needs to be. Before I finish, a quote I found hilarious, whether it's appropriate or not. So Omri has taken Little Bull to the local store to find him a wife that he will turn from plastic into a real person. Of the five he found, one was clearly old and two had babies tied on their backs in parcels laced up like boots. You don't fancy one with a baby, I suppose? Little Bull gave him a look. No, I thought not, (laughs) said Omri hastily. (laughs) (laughs) I like that little selection (laughs) process. Anyway, I think I've covered what I wanted to. Uh, so let's ride on, cowfolk. It's time for Tenuous Trivia. Hi-ho, Keith! Away! So this week, with our Tenuous Trivia, I'll be taking a fantastical approach. So let's call it Fantastically Tenuous Trivia. So Brianna is guaranteed to lose. <laughs> I don't know. I listened in to that last episode. You smashed yes, it. Yes, and that's probably the real reason why Pat's not here, because he can't show his face after his dismal <laughs> trivia performance last episode. Mm. I'll keep to a pretty similar format. I'll ask questions and attribute points based on the answers. Many of these are multiple choice, but not all of them. I'll let you know in advance what is and isn't. Can I just point out that Patrick made a tactical error last episode? Bree buzzed in with her name Bree, but Patrick buzzed in with his name Patrick. That was Why not add- what caused him the loss, Laurie Bates. Why would you add that extra syllable? But that's not what Foolish. he lost over. No, but you could tell he was going to lose from the beginning. Like, with that kind of rookie play, he had no chance at trivia success. So what are you going for, Loz? Ugh. Mm. No, it's all right. I'm a fast dog. Mm-hmm. I'll just be slurring. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever starts saying their name first will be selected to answer the question, which I think is fair. So, question one. What is the name of the main protagonist in Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea? Laurie. Laurie. This quiz has been rigged so that I will lose. Well, actually, do I give the real name or I'm going to say Jed or Ged or Sparrowhawk? Yeah, Ged is correct. It's not pronounced Jed, it's Ged. Are you sure? Yes, I'm certain. Is there a pronunciation guide in the book? I don't know if it's in the book, but there is a pronunciation guide on the internet. Uh, It's not canon, not counted. (laughs) (laughs) I demand a point. Well, I'm giving you a point. In fact, I would have given you two points if you hadn't been so argumentative. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had multiple choice options for that one, just in case. I've never heard of the book. 
slash movie slash novella. You will hear of the book at a later stage, Brie. Oh. Was Sparrowhawk the other name? I don't recall that. Might have hmm. been his wizard name. Because as we know, wizards have many names and are known by many of those names in many different places. <laughs> nice. I don't understand. <laughs> you won't. And you won't understand. One of the options for this next question, which is, what is the full name of Legolas? 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 From Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. A- Bree C. <laughs> this isn't going to be a very fun game for those playing along at home if you bring that spirit to the game, Bree. <laughs> it's the only way I'm going to get a chance. And may I remind you that points will be taken off for incorrect answers. Yep. Oh. Hit me. Was it C? Unfortunately, yes, it was C. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> but I'm going to read out the options anyway because it's no fun for those playing at home when you announce the answer. So I'll mix these up now. Was it A? Legolas of Mirkwood. Was it B, Legolas Drunkard? Was it C, <laughs> Darthaniel Quenyavin? Ooh, nice. Or was it D, Legolas Greenleaf? Mm, I don't actually know, which makes me a little bit ashamed. I would say uh, I'm torn between A and D. I'll say A. It's But I think it's D. Yeah, it's D, Legolas Greenleaf. Mm. I don't think it featured heavily in the books, but yeah, mm. that is... Probably his name. I'll say probably because someone will probably prove me wrong. I had a friend who had the Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit and they're a bit of a fan. And by a bit of a fan, I mean when it got to their go for the first time, it was then the end of the game. (laughs) Wow. Because they got every question right. And there was one question that came up that according to the card supplied with the game, he got wrong. And then he said, no, the card's wrong. So they looked it up and the card was wrong. (laughs) Haven't they seen the episode of Seinfeld? You've got to go with what the card says, regardless of what the answer is. Yeah, right. So next question. And this one, I'm opening up for some artistic interpretation because I want to hear your best Gollum impersonations. What's Gollum? Gollum. Gollum. You don't know what Gollum is, Brie. Keith, I told you I was going to lose this. You don't know who Gollum is, I should say. So Gollum is a character from both The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Laurie, can you fill me in on, on his full history? So he was a... He was something equivalent to uh, a hobbit, like fairly close to a hobbit, and he discovered the One Ring, which was created by the Dark Lord and is filled with evil energy and basically turned his soul to a black one, but also made him immortal. But he murdered his best friend to take the ring, crawled under a mountain and stayed there for a few hundred years and turned from looking like a nice little hobbity type person into a skinny, greasy, lank-haired, big-eyed, sharp-toothed-looking nasty person. And his language deteriorated similarly. Mm. Yes, he went a, a little bit mad, I think, because the ring was turning his soul into a like a, a twisted being. And he was by himself under a mountain, eating fish in the darkness for hundreds of years or something. Uh, right, so I will refer Decades. you back to one of the very first conversations we had ever amongst us for Seeking Tum Nights, uh, where I informed you all that I had never read The Lord of the Rings, and I had attempted to start The Hobbit on at least a dozen occasions and never got past the first chapter. Uh, which would have been very, very good excuses for not being able to answer that question if there weren't 
three terrific movies yeah. that you could have watched. But don't they go forever? Yeah, that's the best part. Also, here's the other bit is that I've only ever seen the second movie and I saw that in French, so <laughs> it was dubbed. So, any who's? I'll accept Gollum impersonations in French. But I don't remember. Like, I just, I'm really sorry. This is going to be a very one-sided quiz. Consider me, Le consider Gollum. me mooned. Consider Gollum. me being mooned this week. Like, it's... <laughs> What's the tenuous link here to the Indian and Well, it's fantasy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's high fantasy versus low well, fantasy. Well, it's fantasy. I didn't say what type of fantasy. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Very tenuous. Go on. <laughs> so I'll chuck a point your way, Laurie, for the Gollum impersonation, but you're welcome to have another crack at it if you like. Nasty little hobbitses. Yes, that's much better. Mm, there we go. Thing is, Bree's given up. I'm giving you another point for that. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. Tolkien's great eagles in The Lord of the Rings oh. and The Hobbit are a variation... Covering <laughs> out loud are a variation of the common but largely despicable plot device known as... Das es... Uh, Laurie? <laughs> I don't das think you need to buzz in. Machina. Correct. That's where the gods swoop in and... We don't need to know. Keep going. This isn't a thing that's particular to the Lord of the Rings, Brie. This is a common thing in fantasy in particular. It's not just fantasy, Yeah, though. it's definitely not just fantasy, yeah. Didn't that term originate from Greek... Plays? Yeah, I think you're right. Mm. It's most common, though, in fantasy. Mm. What was it called? It's Deus Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. Isn't it Machina? Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) All the pronunciations this week. However you want to say it, I won't hold it against you or me. You might be right. Please write in if you know. We'll appreciate an update on Facebook so we don't dwell in ignorance for the rest of our lives. Please. Likewise, if you have any credible sources for the pronunciation of Ged. (laughs) No, I'm actually quite willing to accept that it's Ged. Is it spelled with a J or a G? G. Considering you referred to Clooney as Clunny. uh... (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I sneakily looked it up and it was Sparrowhawk. I'm very impressed with myself. Very good. So, question five. The 1988 fantasy film Willow (laughs) is not based off a book. But if it was... I'm taking my earbuds out. (laughs) <laughs> but if it was, it would have been a really good book. True or false? True. Also, did you know that there were two follow-up books and I've got them on my bookshelf? I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't remember them being particularly amazing, but it's pretty interesting. Willow, Uf, what is it, Ufgood? Ufgood, yeah. Becomes a more advanced wizard and changes his name to Thorn. Interesting. Which finger holds the power? This podcast is becoming more and more of a fantasy indulgence for some of us. <laughs> Have you not seen Willow? No. You know what? Even more than the Lord of the Rings movies, because... I've never heard of it. I can see they're a lengthy effort to get into. Willow was a film made by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg? Yeah, Steven Spielberg was definitely involved. It's a George Lucas right. story. He made this movie post-Star Wars. I only just saw my first George Lucas film last year. Right. And it's the only good thing he's done since those original trilogy movies. He's got the budget because he's flush with cash from Star Wars and he's got some decent actors and it's a really fun children's fantasy movie. Good Yeah, you should really watch it, Brie. And if you don't, from now on, refer to you as Debbie. Debbie Downer. (laughs) I just watched Star Wars. You should all be, oh, yeah. like, saying, well done. Not just one, but seven. Yes. <laughs> well done. Thanks. Question six. Bree, here's one that you will be able to play. 
What was the name of the potion the Grand High Witch developed to turn children into mice in Roald Dahl's The Witches? Bree! Bree! Uh, 86. I'll give that to you. It's Formula 86. Well done. Yes! Thank you, thank you. So your second point there, because I did give you that one for your... Thanks. C fiasco. (laughs) (laughs) Not following the rules. Gosh. Question seven. In Brian Jake's Red Wall, how did... Clooney the Scourge lose an eye. Was it A, running with a pair of scissors tip up? (laughs) B, a fight with a fish? C, an arrow fired by a squirrel? Or D, he didn't lose an eye, he found one? Laurie. Laurie. Fighting with a fish, B. Fight with a fish, a pike. A pike to be specific? Yes. No bonus points, you don't need it. Question eight. The Indian in the cupboard. (gasps) <gasps> what item of clothing did Omri's brother Gillen accuse Omri of stealing? Was it B- Laurie? Break? Ooh, Laurie was in first there. Oh, I didn't realise you were going to give us <laughs> options, so I'm going to go with sports duds. What's a dud? <laughs> well, it's a non-specific type of pant because I was yeah. trying to cover yeah. both that's, shorts and underpants, but I'll say shorts. That's a far too strategic answer. So <laughs> can you be more specific? All right, sports shorts. Can you be more specific? Gym shorts. No. Uh, uh, soccer shorts. Um, That's given him enough answers. <laughs> now I would like the options, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be quite obvious if I give the options now, and I think you're right enough. I had it uh, as football shorts, so... Oh, that's soccer shorts? Yeah, depending on the region. Yeah, so soccer pertains to... Specifically to that, whether or not it's you know acceptable to call it soccer, depending on where you live. I think he gave him too pertains... many options to change his answer from gym to football to shorts to duds to whatever. And no, that you're that definitely right. Be... Not mm. not you, Bree. Laurie is um, because Bree. I didn't. I just gave him an option to clarify his answer because he did say he clarified sports. it four times before he hit the nail on the head. Yeah, and each time he got closer to that nail, so he he never diverged from <sighs> the true path to the right answer. Ugh. History apparently counts for a lot in tenuous <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Patrick, where are you? Question nine. What was the first book published in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicle of Narnia series? Bray. Laurie. Laurie. <laughs> the line no, which where was that Laurie first? I demand you go back to the recordings and rec- and look at it. There's a delay on Skype, I think, at your end. Oh, my God. Are you serious? You there is no way that that was Laurie first. Okay. I, I definitely heard Laurie first, but that could, I, could be attributed I, to... I, felt... I am signing off and not finishing this. Laurie definitely came through first on my No Skype. way. I am out. No more questions. I am going to sit silently. <laughs> Come on, Debbie. <laughs> what was your answer, Brie? I refuse to answer. Do you think I'm lying? Yes. I'm honestly not lying. Right. Well, we are not doing this until we can align the recordings. All right. We'll we'll come back to that later. Did you hear Brie first, Laurie? This is like the third time that I have answered before Laurie. Mm, Okay. Okay. So this is kind of impossible to play (laughs) trivia in this this fashion then. (laughs) You're right. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. Brie is being disadvantaged by the internet. This question nine... I will not bother responding. All right. I've got another question. I'm going to just give it straight to Brie. No, I'm question not answering. 10. What is the name? Oh, 
of the character who first appeared in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, who was hiding as the Weasley family rat Scabbers. Don't know. Not answering. Oh, it's that pudgy dude with the bumpy nose and potentially alcoholic's cheeks. Yes. Uh, can you give me the first letter of his name? P. Is it something like Peter Diggly or something? No. No, 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 no I can't remember. Peter Pettigrew. Oh, God, I'm so close. <laughs> the next tenuous trivia will contain targeted questions. Well, I think we can just do rotating questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't as fun as I was hoping. All right, what's next? Thank you, but thank you, but thank you for, for that very enjoyable experience, Keith. <laughs> Don't you want to hear the scores? <laughs> yes, no. I do. I certainly Look, do. I'll spare the scores. All right. Uh, so, thank you very much, Keith. <laughs> You're welcome, Laurie, and sorry, Bree. Mm. You've got a few discussion points. Actually, Keith, I'm taking that like... apology back. I'm not sorry, Bree. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a few discussion points, Keith, and I assume that's because it's your book. You did a bit of extra homework. So hit us with discussion point number one. You've got a Q&A. That was me. Oh, okay. Sure, Bree, hit us with a Q&A. Ah, I was just going to say, so Lynn Reed, in the back of her book, Banks. has a few questions. So I will ask, just to prompt your imagination, I would say, so I'm going to pick... Randomly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Keith. questions. Keith, which question number would you like me to ask you? Uh, can I go with number four, please? If you became a minuscule figure like Little Bull, where in the world would you like to go? Oh, great question. In Carmen San Diego? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Be careful what you say, Laurie. <laughs> Be very careful how you phrase what your desires are. Uh, I know what I'm about, Keith. I'd have to say, in terms of my own safety, on my parents' kitchen bench. You would like to go to your parents' kitchen bench? No. In terms of my own safety, that's where I would go. <laughs> I would want to go. That's not where I would like to go. Ah, okay. Laurie? Question one, two, three, five, six, or seven? Uh, I'd say six. Yes, six. <laughs> six. What? The number of the boost. So you have selected somewhere to go. What would you take with you? Mm. From the real world, I couldn't just say, like, a, a lightsaber and a... But that's terrible. How's that going to get you anywhere? You turn up like Little Bull as a very small person somewhere. What would you want to have with you? I don't know, like a pre-prepared contract for movie rights? (laughs) Well, I would say that Lynn Reed Banks' suggestions are far more intelligent around food and a camera. Like a camera. How cool would that be? Oh, hang on. So how would it work though? Would I be going to the future? Well, it depends where you end up going. If you could go anywhere, where would you go? Okay, I would go to the parcel shelf of the DeLorean. (laughs) What's a DeLorean? (laughs) Oh, come on, Bree. You can't tell me you haven't seen Back to the Future. Isn't it pronounced DeLorean? I always thought it was. Mm. Yeah, I think it is. My pronunciation, as we've proved many times (laughs) over, is very horrible. One of the other questions is, which part of history would you like to visit? Oh, Hang on, what are Lynn Reed Banks' answers to this? We can only go to the future if we're little no, plastic her men. Her suggestions are the Wild West, Victorian London, or maybe 100 years in the future. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's why I went. To I'd the, always get the future. Yeah. That's why I went to the DeLorean because it gives me a view to many of those. I had to break it to you, Keith. The DeLorean, while it might be a real car brand, is actually not a time traveling vehicle. I had to break it to you, Laurie. That <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> to become a miniature figure that can travel through time based on your own wants. <laughs> How dare you! You're like the boy that won't say the name of the little girl in The NeverEnding Story, Keith. Moon child! (laughs) (laughs) You've seen Back to the Future, Rupri. I've seen Back to the Future 2. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Have you seen The NeverEnding Story? Yes, 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 except I always skip over the horse bit. Oh, yeah, that's pretty sad. Why? There's no reason for that. All right, continue on. Next question. Oh, do you guys want some more questions? There's only seven yeah. questions. Keith's turn. He gets to choose, Yeah, right? one, two, or three. Let's go with one because I think she's leading on a path here and I want to see where that path started. If you could bring any plastic figure to life, what would it be and why? <gasps> oh, this is my question for the gang that we were leading up to. Oh, <laughs> yes, stolen. What's your answer? Now, my answer will not be surprising. It's me, man. Are you but, r- really? But, you would really choose He-Man. Like, what point? Like, he doesn't even well, uh, kill people with his sword. Exactly. Yes, he makes he's friends so with burly. Them. He's got such good arms. A little half-naked dude. Just oh, is, yeah. He's so sensible and nice. But look, what I would say is there's a very large part of me that wants to say Teela for that answer. Ah. Oh. What? That's his sister? I thought that was Shira. Teela is Man-at-Arms' daughter. Ah. Well, he's actually Man-at-Arms' adopted daughter. Can I answer that as well? Yeah, because I haven't got an answer to it. Keep going. I I think, like, just based on toys that I can remember, it would probably be Donatello. Oh, he was my favourite. That would be effing sweet to have a little Donatello getting around. He's smart. He's got a little bow stick. He's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That would be awesome. He's not the most powerful man in the universe, though. Yeah, but... He's brainy. That's what you need. All right. Do you have any questions left? Would you share your secret with anyone if you had a cupboard of that type? Oh, no. (laughs) There's no way you could get me to keep that in. I would be using it for commercial purposes. (laughs) 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 And I wouldn't want my golden... What, are you talking crazy? I would go to the shop and I'd buy 100 miniature horses and then I'd become the world's first miniature horse dealer. Okay, well, you're you're sort of not (laughs) keeping it secret in that case. You could experiment. You could see what else you can make come to life. Go and get some plastic money and see if it yeah, becomes real. I guess so. Plastic gold. Mm. Oh, miniature dinosaurs. The next question is, where would you take your miniature friend? <laughs> to the market. <laughs> That's the suggestions is the park, school, the shops? No. I wouldn't be a slave trader. I wouldn't create little people, but I certainly would be selling little animals. <laughs> Some of them might be dinosaurs. <laughs> Therein ends the questions. Mm. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree. That was fun. Yeah, so that kills my discussion point three, but that's <laughs> all right. You didn't answer that, Bree, so you have to answer that. I was trying to think. I'm like looking around my house currently thinking, do I have any plastic toys that I would want to bring back to life? I answered that as me as a child, by the way, so feel free to answer it in the same way. I'd want to bring back my dogs, I think. Honestly, Radio Pom and Zerk were the best friends I had up until the age of my sister being able to talk. Hmm. Do you still have them? Yes, my imaginary dog friends. Oh, are currently they are currently toys. sitting on the couch next to me. Hang no, on, they so... weren't toys. Oh, they weren't toys. How can you no. put an imaginary friend in the cupboard then? Well, why not? I'd give it a go. 
You know what? I always thought imaginary friends were a construct of film and television. I didn't realise people actually had imaginary friends. I had three of them. This explains so much. (laughs) (laughs) What are you saying? It's a highly imaginative child that has imaginary friends. Yeah, or a mentalist. Oh, my gosh. Question, Brie, did you develop these friends just so you could beat them at trivia? (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you serious? I am clearly the trivia guru. I refer you to last week. Mm, Clearly, you're a wonderful sportswoman. (laughs) Come on, let's move on. The movie. The movie, yeah. So, I only started watching the movie. I didn't finish watching it. And it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying it or anything like that. I just didn't manage to make the time to watch it before tonight it was pretty accurate to the book and it captured the same feelings that the book had it was basically a very charming movie and you used that word low when you were talking about the book and i think it's an apt one we had the same omri in the movie as we did in the book he was a perceptive caring and empathetic character it was a really kind of slow paced movie i wish you'd seen the whole thing because the only thing i've seen about the movie was a quote and i think i must have googled it and it was one of those two quotes that sort of pop up in the side box of the of the results and it said something it was like it was a little too pc and ended up being relatively uninspired or something like that i'm like hmm because yeah the movie came out in 1995 so by that point they were probably more considerate of the subject matter Yep. Yeah, but I didn't get it far enough into it to sort of confirm that. If any of the listeners have any strong feelings about the movie either way, please comment on the post that we put up for this episode. It's quite a popular movie, so it would have revitalised the books. By that time, you know, I was a, a teenager just, so it wasn't of interest to me, even though I had the attachment to the books. If only they made a version with Owen Wilson in it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I have that. (laughs) We know what it is. It's the night at the museum. (laughs) Getting back to my thoughts on the movie, yeah, it was a pretty slow-moving affair and concentrated mostly on the existential crisis that Omri faces when his world comes crashing down around him. Okay, maybe it's not so severe, but there's definitely a weight burdened on Omri's shoulders with the realisation that he's responsible for a life. And we see this through the continued close-ups of this kind of awkward-looking kid's face. And that's what was most prevalent about the movie from what I saw. If you're a fan of the book and you're a kid, you'll really enjoy the movie. It was a charming movie. Hmm. There was one really frustrating scene in the movie, though, for me. Is that where they didn't bash each other? (laughs) (laughs) No, there was a bit of brotherly bashing going on in the movie. And at one point, Omri boots his brother's rat. The rat's in this ball that he runs in and gets about in And he kicks him down the stairs And I was thinking, wow, that was pretty pretty brutal But that's not the part that really frustrated me There's a scene where, having realised the powers that the cupboard and the key hold Omri goes and grabs a basket full of toys And you see that in focus on the screen as he's going through the toys and grabbing them and putting them in the cupboard. He, he grabs Darth Vader, he grabs a G.I. Joe, he grabs a dinosaur, a T-Rex, he grabs Robocop, strangely enough, and a couple of other figures and pops them all in there. But it was so frustrating because in the centre of the basket, there is Ram Man, who's a figure from He-Man. He <laughs> didn't get put in the cupboard. And, you know, we see what happens. He opens the cupboard and they're all in battle with each other. You have Darth Vader with his lightsaber and he's fighting a G.I. Joe and a, and a T-Rex. It was it was a pretty cool scene and I think it was their way of saying, okay, this is what every kid would do in this situation. They would try all their toys in there and it was 
an explanation for why Omri doesn't do that anymore because he was so shocked with the battle that ensued that he just closed it up quickly and turned the key to turn them back into plastic figures. All right, it's time for scoring with me. We're at the end. All right, so on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best, and vaguely in the back of your mind, considering the Goodread scale. One, it's like being friends with Patrick. Two, it's a little ball shit, but just a little. <laughs> Three, you're <it> quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the wait. <laughs> Four, it's uh, unreliable. <laughs> oh, these are the worst. And five, it's better than buying a new girlfriend from your local corner store for 10 pence. <laughs> Make sure she's pretty. Two, four. <laughs> for me, it's somewhere between three and four, so three and a half stars. Uh, all right. I would say. Hmm. I don't know. I had a few faults, so I can't give it a perfect score. I'd say it's unrelievable. Wow. <laughs> Four stars. No way. Two. All right. Well, what did you give it? A three and a half, Keith? Yeah, three and a half, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. What about all of the, you know, poor treatment of rats? Doesn't that make you give it a one? Nah, that wasn't in the book. Didn't happen in the book, though. <laughs> they were fairly responsible with the rat, apart from letting it get loose in Omri's room once. Yeah, I think Omri really brought it home for me. So, yeah, I'm sticking with my four. Yeah, look, I agree. That's why I gave it three and a half because it was a very different book to what you would expect of something of that nature. Yeah, I think it went a little deeper than I expected it to and I enjoyed that. It was really hard to read. That's a fair analysis because it is something that you have to have an interest in it otherwise you're just not going to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the base premise as well, whether or not this is, I don't know, smacks of gender equality or whatever, but cowboys and Indians have traditionally been something that boys have been interested in. Yep. So in the age that we were growing up. Yeah, but I love Toy Story. You've got astronauts and cowboys in that one. Yeah, it's a very true. similar premise. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I just don't think it's particularly well executed here. Yeah, it's a different approach. It's more of a charming, slow-paced approach than Toy Story, which is an action-adventure sort of comedy. And that one has a bit of humour in it too, right? So Plus, it's probably written by a team of That's right. comedy experts for children. and yeah. yeah. All right. Well, great. Four, 3.5, and a two. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with those scores. Next episode is a timely selection with a dreamy tale of giants and brave little girls. That's right, it's George R. R. Martin's incredibly popular Game of Thrones, the first book in the A Song of Ice and Fire series. Okay, no, it's not that, but it is something equally exciting and just as timely. It's another Roald Dahl book. This one is Bree's favourite. She's been champing at the bit to slot this in. It's the BFG, the tale of an orphan girl befriended by an unusual giant. Until then... Thank you for listening. Don't forget to trumpet our cause on iTunes with a rating. Check your cupboard for beasts before you go to sleep tonight and keep reading. I'm still sick and tired.
How can you not know who Gollum is? First it sort of one makes you wonder what kind of interesting lives people are leading if they don't know what. Like they must must life must be awesome. They must be doing all sorts of amazing things that they just don't have time to find out who Gollum is. <laughs> yeah, 